Hey, you're listening to Fanboys Check Back Weekly Review Podcast, episode 42. Strike Back Podcast. I'm David. I'm Eric. And we are back after a little hiatus. Uh, I got married, had a little honeymoon, life got in the way, but uh, we are back, and we are the fanboys of Strike Back. Every week we pick the comics that come out, we read all of them, um, we'll pick one that we thought was the best, we'll write a review on that of that comic on our site, fanboystrikeback.com, and then we'll come here to the podcast. We'll talk about all the comics, we'll talk about comic news, uh, Comic-Con's coming up here pretty soon, we're going to be talking about that, and um, we're also going to be talking about a little movie that came out called The Dark Knight, um, and we're going to talk about everything in these reviews, so if you don't want to be spoiled, you might want to pause the podcast and come back later. That being said, we've been gone for a while. Eric, uh, what do you have for us this week? Uh, Well, this week I picked Rogue's Revenge uh, Final Crisis tie-in, number one of three. And uh, by Jeff, Collins, or Jeff Johns and Scott Collins. And what I really found interesting about this book is it's, a, it's an, basically an epilogue story to the Death of Bart Allen series, which was the, the story that was, it seems like it was never supposed to be. It was a, I think DC realizes now that it was, a, it was kind of a mistake. And um, what this book seems to be doing is trying to, uh, not quite retcon because I don't think they're bringing Bart back, but it's trying to maybe fix the rogues because if it wasn't just Bart that suffered in that, it was the characterization of the rogues and and everything is kind of a bit more bloodthirsty than they've ever been before. Now, that works as a plus and minus to the story because the 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 crux of the story is that the the rogues have been on the run for a long time uh, ever since they've been hunted down and they're they're tired, they're ready to give it all up but they have, like, a few things that they have to kind of put in order before they do that. And one of the things is they feel that they were tricked by Inertia, who stole Bart's speed, and they, they said, well, you know, if, if we attacked Bart, if we, if we attacked the Flash and he had a speed, you know, usually he's able to, to dodge all these things and, and they wouldn't hurt him. It was Inertia who took away his speed, and that's, you know, that's what made our attacks hurt him. Well, no. I mean, it, they, were, they were in a group random, and they they just bludgeoned him to death. Yeah. So, so it's like, that's why I wrote my review. Like, I, I find it interesting because uh, it's almost like they're using their own... I, these are these are crazy people, and so they're using their own psychosis to kind of... Uh, kind of flip it around, and so trying Say to... like they're the victims. Yeah, to, to kind of get themselves off the hook. And, um, which totally isn't the case. Like, they... You know, no matter what, they are responsible. It was it was a vicious death. So that being said, I, I thought that was interesting, but um, there were some there were some other really shocking moments, especially the escape of inertia and uh, a, a brief moment we see with Libra, which is the only time to really final crisis, which is that they say no joining the new secret society. And so where were the were the rogues part of Salvation Run? Uh, yeah, yeah, they were. Okay. Um, but yeah, Inertia escapes the the suspended animation, and basically Zoom 
comes up and Zoom's like, yeah, I'm going to teach you how to be a better person. You're going to be the new Kid Flash, which you know isn't going to happen. But mm-hmm. I thought, I thought, well, that's that's interesting. I, I want to see how this plays out. What I really enjoyed about this is Jeff Johns writing back on these characters again. Uh, they're infinitely more interesting when he's in, in control. Uh, Scott Cohen's art, I could go either way on. Um, I feel it, it is detailed, but it's also it, it for me. It's very sketchy. I think there. I think it's overlap. I think the uh, the line work is too thick in places, and it almost looks like they're almost like the characters are stickers placed on a background. It. I, I didn't care for it too much, and so. But but that said, I thought the writing definitely made up for it. So I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was good too. Um, Scott Collins' art reminds me of kind of like a gritty. John Romita Jr., I guess. I'm not a huge fan either, but yeah, it's kind I, of... What's that? Oh, I, I totally agree with you. Um, and it was interesting to see, like, because we all know that Barry's coming back, and, well, he already has come back, but in this you see uh, Iris kind of figuring, hearing his voice. So I thought... I'm not uh, still a huge fan of Barry coming back, but I thought that was kind of a cool scene. Um... And, like, I had the same reaction that you did. It just seemed... It's weird that this story is coming now so so long after Bart's death, you know? Because it feels like this picks up right afterwards, you know? And obviously in the DC Universe, you know, it seems like a lot of time hasn't passed. But it's weird that Bart died so long ago, and now we're getting the story that's, you know, focusing on it. Yeah. But it's cool that they're at least addressing it, you know? Yeah, um... I think this series, like I, I found this first chapter interesting, and I think this this story has the potential to go either way. Like it could be really good, or it could bomb really badly. Yeah, uh, well, you know, it's Jeff John, so it's probably could be pretty damn good. That's the street. That's why I I, I picked it. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, what would have been your choice this week? Uh, you know. I really loved Mighty Avengers 16, which we'll talk about in a second. And while it wasn't a, a, a whole issue, I probably would have picked Captain America White number zero. Uh, yeah, yeah. Technically, that was yeah. last week, but, but still. Oh, uh, was it? It came out last week, but we can still talk about it, because we All haven't right, been well, here for a while. Let's still, yeah, let's still talk about it. See, um, David, this is what happens when you don't get your books in, like, Three weeks. This is this is the first time that I haven't got my books weekly. I got I had to get my books from last week and this week in the same week, and it was chaos. It, was it just screwed up my my whole world. It was. Um, I I liked it. I liked it. Um, I originally I thought this was the first issue, and I didn't realize till about too. a day later that it was uh, issue zero. But um, yeah, I mean there were there were moments of it. It's definitely I'm very much more used to the. Uh, Batman, Jeff Loeb, and Tim Sale work, which mm-hmm. which is a lot more darker and intense. It feels like, but there were definitely moments where I thought this echoed Dark Victory a little bit with the kind of uh, mentor and sidekick feeling. Yeah, I was I was surprised because this wasn't really a Captain America tale. This was more of a coming of age of Bucky. Um, but like, just like you're more used to the Tim Sale, Jeff Loeb, Batman, I'm more used to just the color books, you know. Mm-hmm. My introduction, my introduction to Tim Sale was Daredevil Yellow, so I'm really excited to have a color book back. You know, it's been a while, and I wasn't a big fan of Hulk Gray, but um, no, it's cool. Like this, it, it this little snippet 
as you will, was more of a Bucky tale, but, like, it is kind of, you know, the... there's It definitely parallels Batman and Robin, but I really like the fact of how you get to see Steve through Bucky's eyes. And you kind of see the fact that, like, Bucky doesn't even know that Steve's Captain America, he figures it out, they go through training, so it's really cool. So it has me really excited for when the series actually launches. I did not, like you, I didn't know that this wasn't the first issue, so I kind of was upset, but, you know, it was still good. Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting because I felt the same way reading this that I kind of felt like Spider-Man Blue, where Spider-Man Blue, most of it was, or the the bulk of it was a flashback tale, mm-hmm. and so, so is this apparently, but being uh, a flashback tale, it definitely felt more nostalgic, I think, than the, than the DC stories, I, I, I think because they basically do the same thing on both sides. They take these iconic characters and they go back to their early days. Right. But but for some reason, like um, it, like with Spider-Man Blue, I felt like I was reading a '60s Spider-Man story uh, with contemporary dialogue, which was which was really cool. Like it, it made me feel like it was a very nostalgic type book. I got the same feeling reading this. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, it was good. Going on to Mighty Avengers 16. Uh, what did you think of this? Um, I thought it was okay. I'm kind of getting... Oh. The, the art was really good. I'll say that. I I had no qualms about that. Um, uh, you know, I, I wasn't too terribly interested in, like, when, when did Elektra get replaced? I'm, I, I thought it was interesting, like, it took, like, two scrolls to take her down, and she could, just kept on, like, going through them. Like, yeah. no, no problem at all. Uh, but there wasn't a whole lot of story progression. It was just, like, one comes at her, she takes him out, two come at her, they take her out, and then finally they come back and take her out, and by the end of it, she's she's implanted. So, I, I don't know, I wasn't, like, I was like, no, that's okay. Like, it didn't stick out with me as much as the Hank Pym replacement story did, and mm-hmm. I guess I think I'm getting a little sick of just these uh, flashback tales of, of how people got replaced. Um, I, I I would prefer maybe seeing more of the current storyline being brought out, but I know that I know that that's they're trying to do that in the main book, but right. they're just not doing it. I think that this issue is awesome, and the biggest reason is that this goes back to New Avengers number one, and it reveals the one thing that we've been wondering the whole time was. They someone hired Electro to get all these uh, people out of prison in the vault and everything, and you didn't know why. And this issue finally reveals that it was the scroll Electra, and that was huge. Like I just went back and re- I was rereading my New Avengers trade because I was trying to pick up on all the stuff that you would see, and I was like, he still never really explained like who the person was in the shadow that hired Electro, and we got it right here in this issue. Yeah, I, I think um, it paid off more for you because you've been reading the series since the beginning. Um, yeah, and I definitely, I, I can totally understand what you're saying. Um, like, it, I, I am, this, it seems like the way that they're doing this is designed solely for me because I'm reading all these things and I've read them all from the beginning, so it's kind of hard for me not to, like, see it this way, but... It, it, it's, it's, they're taking a, a weird approach, you know, there's not a lot going on in the main book, and they're just revealing side stories in the side books, but from my point of view, I'm just eating it up, like, I am loving it. Yeah, see, I mean, I liked the Mighty Avengers story a couple months back, where they had the Nick Fury thing, and that was, a, 
it was a story set now while the war's going on, but it's, well, some of it was, some of it was a little flashback, but also, like, it brought, it went directly into, like, the, the last issue of Secret Invasion. So, mm -hmm. these ones, I don't know, they're, they're kind of a split bag for me. It's okay. Well, since we're here, what did you think about Secret Invasion number four, then, real quick? Did um, you just feel like it, there just wasn't enough? Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm just, uh, it, it's, it's still good. Like, I'm interested, and when the issues come out, it's like, okay, yeah, excellent. Like, I want, I want to read it. Um, but I just feel like it's, it's lacking something at this point. And I think, it, like, the, the story is okay, the story is fine. Uh, it's the momentum that's not carrying through. And oh, yeah. for, for me, like, it, it's okay... But just and everyone is saying this, but just more something needs to happen because we're four issues, we're four issues in, I think already. Yeah, four and, issues. And it just seems like okay, something needs, something big needs to happen. See, I'm the complete opposite. Like I am having, I don't have any complaints about this series so far, especially issue number four when it ends with Thor and Bucky showing up at the end. I was like, okay, I'm set. See, and I thought that should have happened like by the end of the second issue. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, I I, I think it's it's been perfect. So that, that was I have such no a complaint moment too. It's like okay, here's the hint. Here's what's coming. You know, I mean, I don't know. It's and like, that, that's a that's a long time coming because Thor has been. I mean, Bendis said that sometime between Secret Invasion and post Secret Invasion that Thor and Captain America are going to choose teams. And I mean, I guess we're going to start to see. I'm very interested to see how Bucky's going to play out in the team. Like, which team it's going to be, and what his role will be. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, the other half-and-half half book that came out for me this week was uh, Batgirl number 1, which, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if it's a miniseries or if it's a regular series, but it's written by Adam Beeson, who uh, used to write Robin, oh. and he, he was really good on Robin, kind of a mixed bag on Teen Titans. Yeah, um, that's, uh, that's all I know of him is Teen Titans. Yeah, so he came back on this one, and it was it was really really good. Um, the whole idea of Cassandra and like what happened to her post one year later, where she came back and she was a villain. You didn't really know what's happened to her, and since then she's been on the the evil Titans team, where it was revealed that Deathstroke was con controlling her, and then uh, she's shown up net recently on Batman's new Outsiders team. Uh, I, I opened this book, and I was really excited because there's cameos by everybody. Um, the thing about Batgirl that they addressed in this issue is she was never really part of the the, the real Bat family, which I'd always, like, I, I'd always wondered about because even in the Hush storyline, which encompassed all the characters in the Batman universe, she was the one person left out. And, Ooh, uh, yeah, I never they, noticed that until now. Yeah, like, they bring it up because, like, they say how they've kind of put her on the outside, um... And how like even even Jason is represented more in Wayne Manor, like old pictures and stuff like that, more than she is. Like there's there's no pictures of her. She's never really been made to feel like one of the family. And Bruce kind of it, it's revealed that Bruce kind of thinks of that as a failing on his part. But uh, it's also very it, it also comes across like Nightwing discovers her in the Batcave by by herself, which is a big no no because she's she's kind of on probation in the Bat family. But also like they're Bruce is watching her and he's giving her a lot of leeway. But um, Nightwing kind of has has words with her because he doesn't trust her, and he's wondering what she's up to. And the only thing that that was bad about this is all of a sudden Batman and Robin show up, and they're like, "No, this is what happened to her." And it goes into like three pages of just straight dialogue that 
kind of it brought it to it brought it to a halt. But um, I liked it because there were moments like after they get over that, and everyone's like, "Are you you know are you kidding me? You're you know you're you're gonna you're gonna regret this." And uh, he, he basically he he kind of storms off, and there's this quiet little moment where uh, Bruce turns and looks at Cassandra and he's like, "Don't make me regret this," because he's stuck up for her. And so she's out there, and basically what it turns into is it's it's gonna it looks like it's gonna turn into a little crime mystery, of course. But it it was really interesting, and I liked the character. I think there's potential, um, but I you know it's she's been handled very poorly. So I, I'm interested to see where this goes. I like Adam Beechin's writing. I think he did a good job in this book. I don't know what it was about Titans if it was just too many characters or what, but yeah. I think he he handles the single character very well. Okay, all right. Um, there is a couple of books from last week I actually wanted to talk about with you, too. Did you pick up Final Crisis Requiem? Yes, I did. What did you think about this? I was, I mean, it's our boy Peter Tomasi writing it, and I, I loved this. No, it was great. Um, I, if, if we had done a pick last week, that would have definitely been it for me. Um, it was, it really hit you in the gut, like... It, it's unfortunate because it, it hasn't only been into the last maybe four years that I've really grown to have an appreciation for Martian Manhunter, and a lot of that came through the New Frontier. A lot of that came through the Justice League cartoon, but uh, I and, and at that point, like I realized, like he has been in almost every iteration of the Justice League that I've ever read, going back to like the International and the Europe and and the JLA, and but he really has been a linchpin. And while he could never carry a book on his own, uh, it's just one of those comforting presences to know that he's there and he, yeah. you know, he's kind of one of those, uh, I don't know, uh, big guns on the team. He, re- he really was. And to now have him gone, like, it's interesting to see how he, his absence is affecting other members of the Justice League. And just that last scene with, with Bruce when he left the, the cookie on his coffin and he's like, goodbye, yeah. old friend. I was like, Holy crap, that was good. I mean, it goes into, like, when Final Crisis came out and he died, it was, you know, two panels, a stab through the heart, that was it. It goes into gruesome detail in this book on how he died and just how rough it was. And not only that, it's just the fact that, like, you know, he kind of went out like a punk in Final Crisis, didn't really put up a fight, and you see in this issue that he, he, you know, he died a hero. Yeah, there was a lot more fight to this, and it was interesting. Like he got in all of their minds and was fighting them that way. It, like it was, it was really, really good. Uh, the way he put it, the illusion into everyone's mind that the JLA was coming and killing them. Yeah. Uh, like, wow, that that was intense. That was really, really good. I thought it was interesting how Dick was the one that found his body. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that makes sense because you know, out of all the oldest characters in the DCU, Dick's one of the oldest. But um. Sure. I, I just really, I really like the respect that was paid towards the character. Yeah, you don't really see stuff like this. Like, usually if someone, I mean, I'm, I, I would assume that this was planned from the get-go just because it was so well done, but I know that when he died, a lot of fans were really upset because it just kind of seemed like a, to be a throwaway death, and I wasn't even going to pick this up because I was just like, ah, you know, they're just trying to please people. They're going to throw something together really quick to, to make them happy. And I'm... Um, I still kind of get the feeling that that happened, but, like, this was just so well done 
that I, I mean, I'm still upset that that character died, and I'm not sure if that was really necessary, but well, that, this was good. That kind of begs the question of, like, could maybe Peter Tomasi, like, you, you look at that Black Adam miniseries that he did, um, mm-hmm. could he have taken Martian Manhunter and done something equally the same without, you know, does, it's, it's interesting so much respect is being paid to the character now, and right. yet, you know, his own book couldn't sell while he was alive. Like, it took his death to really bring out a story like this. And and maybe that's that's what it takes. Maybe he just, his character couldn't do a solo book or, or, or sell on its own. Uh, you know, he and he just worked as best as a supporting cast member. But it's kind of unfortunate that that's the, the only way it would have worked. But I would have, I'm curious, and it's, it's, it's a moot point, but could an interesting Martian Manhunter story been told uh, without without the death? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I didn't read Salvation Run. I know he was a part of that, and then I know that there was a mini that he had a while back. I didn't hear... I never really heard any good things about it, but he's always been that kind of... Just like you were saying, he's always been that kind of background character, and now that he's gone, I think everyone started to realize like how much they've liked him and like how important he was. And I mean, obviously he's not dead forever. He'll be back some way, but... This was a pretty final death. I mean, they took him to Mars. They they buried him. His body's there. I don't know. I don't know um, if he's coming back. Like, oh, he's got to come I eventually. I mean, years and years, maybe. But he'll be back sometime. I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, it's it, they they couldn't really ever do anything with him alive. This is the best story that probably they've one of the best stories that they've ever done. Like, I could see him being in flashback stories, like a new, another you know early Justice League story, but. As far as new Martian Manhunter stories uh, in the contemporary uh, DCU, I I don't know. Like I, I I don't you know they kind of said their piece on him and, and put him down. So I don't know if I don't think he'll be coming back. Um, another book that I want to talk about really quick that I have just absolutely been loving is JSA. the The Gog storyline is nothing that I expected. And it's it's like the exact opposite of what would normally happen in this story, you know? Mm-hmm. And Gog is here. He's this huge, you know, god and he he's supposed to be heralding the coming of Magog with the Kingdom Come universe. And this guy is just he's just lovable. He's doing no harm. He uh he healed Grant. Yeah, that was cool. Damage, which was a huge shocker and Obviously, at the very end of last issue, he's getting upset because he feels like now he's he's smelling and he feels war is on Earth, and it looks like more of his vengeance is going to come out. So he's healed Grant. He healed. Um, he healed Starman. Starman and the, who's the surgeon? Uh, uh, Doctor Midnight. Doctor Midnight. He gave like, his vision back. The, the thing so is, like, it, these, is this, is this going to last? No, these things got to be temporary. I mean. That that's the whole thing is like he seems the gentle giant now, but you know this is gonna turn on him and bite him in the ass. I know that's the that's the worst part is that you know this is gonna be bad, but, but things are so good right now. The thing is this this is so great because like we were saying a couple months back like something needs to happen here because uh-huh. that that Kingdom Come sequel has been coming along for a while now. Like Superman came back, he's been here for a while. And it seemed like for a while they were just amping up and amping up and amping up and putting more members on, and then finally, like, Gog showed up, and uh, it's gotten really, really good. Yeah, this has been... I mean, this this might be my 
favorite, you know, current storyline going on right now, other than Secret Invasion. Like, the, the idea that Starman, he actually has his mind back, he knows what he's doing, but then he's talking about how that's not a good thing. And it's just like, why? You know, I really want to know. Yeah. I just, I just had to mention this book, because I'm just having so much fun with it. I, yeah, I, I really like Crazy Starman, so I wanted to go back. But as soon as he said that line, I was like, uh, that was kind of a cheesy line. Like, I, I, I can think clearly, and that's, trust me, that's not a good thing. It's like, no, okay. But they talked about that before, when the Legion was with them. You know, and I and I hate the Legion, but I'm I kind of interested in it. It seemed kind of heavy-handed. It's like, okay, like I get that things are going to be reset. Like, yeah, come on. It's, I, I, I am. I'm not a huge fan of Starman being not crazy. Um, I don't know that much about Doctor Midnight, so I can't say anything there. But I really don't want Grant to go back to his face being scarred because, like, I've I'm really I've grown. He's always been my favorite. Like one of my favorite DC characters, and I've really grown reattached to him since he's been re- reintroduced in this JSA book, and it's just going to break my heart if the kid has to go through more crap. Well, I think, I think Grant's going to be a pivotal character, because I think what's going to happen is when, I think there's going to be a line drawn in the sand, basically, at some point, and some people are going to be GOG followers and some aren't, and I yeah. think Grant was so dependent upon getting his, his uh, looks back and and his happiness attached to that, that I think when that line is drawn on the sand, Grant might be standing on the wrong side of it. And so I think that's going to draw him into... I think that's going to draw him into a conflict with the rest of the team. Especially with Our Man and Liberty Bell. Yeah, and so it'll be interesting. I'm curious to see how that plays out. Yeah, that's been damn good. Um, That's all I got. So, yeah, we've... There's been a lot of... uh, a, a lot of big, big uh, movie events, I guess, going on. Uh, the first uh, I'd like to talk about is, well, we'll talk about Dark Knight in a second. But the trailer, actually, there's a couple trailers I want to discuss before Dark Knight. Uh, okay. We'll start with The Watchmen, and I know you haven't read the book yet. I have not. But I, I'm looking forward to this movie a lot. I, the the trailer is actually making me go back, and I got my absolute Watchmen. I'm I'm about halfway through it again, so I'm going back and rereading it. Um, I'm nervous because I know like it's so dense. There's got to be things that do change, but from what I've read with Zack Snyder, like first of all, like if anyone's going to translate a, com- a comic to a movie, like he'll do it scene for scene, which is what we saw in 300, which I thought was really well done. Um, if he sticks to that formula, like he. He's a comic fan, and so what? That's what I like about it is he's going to try and remain as faithful as he can, and and he had the same reaction that most fanboys had. It's like it, it shouldn't be made, it shouldn't be made. But when Warner Brothers said we're going to do it, you know, you, it, it's kind of like we could do it with you or without you. And he's like, well, I have enough respect for the the source material that you know I'm not going to go screw it up like a bunch of other people would. So that being his intent. Uh, you know, he didn't cast any big names because he didn't want that to detract from the actual storyline. But um, it was interesting. Like, it was very kind of uh, it was a surreal-looking trailer. I I actually liked the the use of the uh, Smashing Pumpkins song, even if it was from the Batman and Robin soundtrack. Yeah. Um, the only thing was some of the costumes. Some of the costumes look okay, but some of them look a little too much like the Schumacher era. Batman costumes, uh, like Adrian Veidt's costume and, and Owlman, uh, or not Owlman, but whatever his name is, uh, 
it's just with the the sculpted muscles and things like that. It's like we've had enough superhero movies this decade where they've changed the kind of costume design that I think we're kind of past Especially, that. And isn't like Watchmen supposed to be a very like realistic comic too? Right, but also it it brought about the absurdity of uh, grown men running around in these costumes. So yeah. to to that extent, like it, it kind it kind of works, but also at the same time, it's just like. Uh, like I, I hope they play it right. And I'm, you know, as long as they play it right, it could be okay. I I just think it's it's it was that was the one thing that struck out with me. I was like, I think they could have probably done that a little bit better. But um, I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt. That's that's really kind of a minor nitpick. But um, I I'm excited. I'm I'm nervous and excited at the same time. But I thought it was good. I thought it was a very good trailer to be showing since we still have basically a year to go until the movie comes out. Yeah, I, I haven't read it, like you said, and, and I, I have it, and I'm going to get on reading it. Um, I didn't, judging from this trailer, I didn't. I don't want to see this movie, so I got kind of nervous. Like, I want to see this movie because I know what it is, um, and it was a very weird situation for me to, to like, have a comic book movie come up that I've never read don't know anything about. Especially, like, so, it's the biggest comic book of all time. <laughs> like, right, right. You get on that. Thank you, thank you. But I, it, 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 it worries me because I am almost sudden in a position with the mainstream audience where I don't know anything about this book, and from watching it, I didn't like it. I mean, from seeing this trailer, it just seemed way too... It seemed way too fantasy for me. Like, it, like there was stuff thrown in that was really realistic, but then it was just like, this seems like way too hardcore sci-fi. I don't like this. I don't have, I have, I don't have any idea who these characters are. They're not mainstream characters. They're not Batman, Superman. But I, I, you know, I was thrown into this weird situation where I was like, I'm this person that is totally ignorant of all this stuff. Do I want to see this? And my immediate answer was no. That's, that's an interesting point to make up or to bring up because um, I the, the people I went and saw the movie with were not comic book people, and only a couple of them knew of the book and they you know they they'd seen it out there and they knew it was kind of highly regarded amongst the, the literary community, but they really didn't they were they were very confused by it they they didn't know what the story was or anything like that because there really wasn't the right. the, the trailer was basically just clips and of like you know, poster poses and things like that. Um, it didn't really tell you what the mo- movie or characters were about in any way at all. And so it was basically just eye candy. And so it wasn't until uh, later they asked me about it, and I had to kind of sit down and tell them, like, the main points of what the story was about. And kind and, and at that point they were like, oh, okay, that's that's pretty interesting, actually. And But they didn't get that off the trailer. Right. And it was just a teaser trailer. I mean, there are going to be better trailers that are going to, you know, have some story in it. I was just, like, a little worried, because I know I'm going to see it. You know, I know I'm going to read the book before I see it. But I'm just kind of worried that this is not the kind of comic book movie that is going to be successful with a, you know, a mainstream audience. Yeah. But, you know, they people were worried about 300 in the same way, and I think... You know, yeah. I, so, I know. I know they're going to sell it with saying, you know, from the director of Three Hundred, the people who made Three Hundred, and I know that's going to bring people in. I'm just hoping that it's just going to be as successful as it should be. Didn't Zack Snyder did Sin City with with Frank? No, Rick? that was that was uh, Robert Rodriguez. Oh yeah, you're right. Okay, 
No, it was just 300. Um, yeah, you're right. Okay, the other trailer I want to talk about was Terminator Salvation. Mm-hmm. I I had no idea that this trailer was even close to coming out. This no, was a complete it, surprise. Like, as soon as that, like, the, the static on the screen started doing the, the music, it was like, oh, look what we got here. Like, um, it, it, I'm very excited. Like, this is a franchise that I have immensely enjoyed. I love the first two Terminator movies. The third one, I felt it went off the rails because the third one felt... I felt the third movie made the second movie obsolete, and the second movie is my yes. favorite. So I did not enjoy that aspect of it. I think if what they kind of want to do is, like, they they said their piece, it's like, okay, what's done is done. We're, move, we're jumping into the future. Here's, here's the bulk of the story. And for those of us, like, it, it's kind of interesting because the, the first movie came out in the 80s, and that was before John Connor was born, and that's, you know, how we found out about later, you know, what happens in the future. And then, like, T2 came out when John Connor was, like, 10 or, or uh, roughly that age, and we were, you and I were that age, and so, right. and now it's, like, this is older, and John Connor's, like, grown up, and now we're grown up. So it, it's kind of interesting. It feels like it's we've paralleled it, and, and we've been brought along with it. And so now yeah. it feels like, okay, we really have reached this point now. You know, what's what's happening in the storyline? And so that's, for me, that's really interesting. And uh, I'm, I'm curious to see what this uh, apocalyptic future is going to look like under someone else's hand other than James Cameron's. Yeah, I mean, when they first talked about making this movie, I was totally against it, because like you, I, I did not like T3 at all, because it, it really did make everything in T2 obsolete. They're just like, ah, you can't escape your fate, it's going to happen, doesn't matter. Um, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like you, t- you, you, you know, you, you pick and choose, like in terms of it, you know, T2 happened, T3 didn't happen. And I still didn't want them to make it until I found out that Christian Bale was going to do it. Because I know that he's, he's pretty selective about his roles in his scripts. So if he's going to sign on to do it, and I think he signed on for three films, you know, yeah. it's got to be pretty good. My only concern... <clears throat> my only concern is that I know that he's not the main character. And I thought that was kind of weird because... This movie is really, especially the trailer. The trailer's really highlighting it, like as him being like he's the only character that we saw in the trailer. Well, I think he's as far as I main characters. What's that? No, I think he, I think he's just like a supporting character. I know the main character is a is a new person. Well, yeah, okay. Well, I think it's gonna. But either way, yeah. if if he's signing on, it's got to be something good. I, I if they're if they're like cleaning the slate and saying, okay, we're. The, the future is done, the the bomb happened, Skynet's in control, let's talk about what happens after that. That sounds like a good idea to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, like, I've always really been interested in the character of Kyle Reese, because I thought Michael Biehn did an amazing job of taking this character and, in the first movie, building him up to where you really respect and admire him, and then they kill him. And the whole idea that I, I've always been fascinated with the idea that John has to send him back knowing who he is, but he can't ever say anything. But, you know, he has to make that sacrifice. But he can't tell this person what, what they are to him. Right, right. And and he has to make that decision to send his father back and die. So I am really interested to see, like, I'm, I'm sure at some point, and they've done this in the in the TV show where they've introduced Kyle Reese's brother. And I think they showed Kyle Reese's, like, a... a uh, like a five-year-old or something like that, but 
to see them growing up, and I really hope they bring his character into these movies. Yeah, it's. I mean, I, I, I'm surprised that I'm excited about a new Terminator movie, but yeah, especially from the trailer, I'm I'm signed up. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Um, and now the the 500 pound gorilla, Dark Knight. Oh man, it was good. It. Oh. Okay, it smashed records. It is the biggest opening weekend ever. It beat Spider-Man 3. It's the biggest midnight showing ever. It's the biggest first day showing ever. Like, this thing killed it. This this movie is a juggernaut. And, like, I expected it to be big, but I thought it would be, like, Spider-Man 3 level big, where it's, it's big amongst the superhero crowd. People would kind of like it and enjoy it and then kind of fade away. And granted, it's still the first week, basically, but... The amount of praise, uh, not just from the internet community, but from the critical community, the film community, yeah. um, mm-hmm. which which I love that they took this character in this world, and and really I would have liked this with any comic book movie, and really it's just icing on the cake that for me it's Batman, but what I love is that they did this, and they took this character seriously, and they took this world seriously, and they portrayed it in a light that everyone could go and see this and come away uh with something real, with something tangible. Um, and, and I'm not taking away from anything, any of the, the previous uh, movies that have come out this summer, because I, I thought Iron Man oh, no. was, I, you know, Iron Man is still one of the best adaptations of comics to screen ever, but mm-hmm. it's, it's, a com- different. it's a different type of movie. It's a completely different type of movie, where um, th- this, is, it's, this is something different. And there were moments, like, I, I, I never caught my breath through this whole thing. Yeah, this was a dark movie. I mean, usually when Eric and I see movies that we're going to talk about on the podcast, we don't say anything before the show, so it's fresh. This was the first one where we were just like, we had to call him. We, did, we barely talked about it, but we were so excited that we had to talk about it. And I think the, the one thing that you said to me that made perfect sense is that when you see a, a normal superhero movie, let's say Iron Man or Spider-Man, or, you know, you always know that they're going to pull it out. You always know that Tony Stark's going to save the day. You always know that Peter Parker is going to, you know, swing in time. And what you said was, like, you didn't even think that Batman was, like, going to win. It wasn't the fact was, like, is he going to get there in time to save it? It's, like, is he going to do it at all? And that's how the whole tone of this movie was. Like, it was just a dark movie. Yeah, and that's not taken away from anything like his heroism or anything. It's it's this character no. who's trying, but the odds are so stacked against him in this world, and with everything that both him, Harvey Dent, and Jim Gordon, because it's really the story is about the three of them, and what the story is the three of them, and what their their efforts to bring the city back into the light, what that does to them, and the thing is that. Like, it, like I said to David, like in Iron Man, there was there was no point. I felt that there were no real stakes. You know, it was enjoyable, but at no time did I think Iron Man would not win against the Iron Monger. At this, in what I told David was at this, like I never thought Batman was going to win, and even in the end, like it's, he really it's, didn't. It's hard to say. The Joker won. The Joker got yeah, exactly and, what he and, wanted. And even bigger than that, it's like you really got a sense of. It, it wasn't so much about the Joker or Two Face or it, it was Gotham City. Like that's it's you know it's it's the city itself that's the problem. 
And that's always been something that's been explored in the books, and it was something that was very much touched on in the first movie. But I think that this one, it really hit you in the face. It's like, you know, these men are really trying to do whatever they can to save this corrupt city. A city that, even though they're trying to save, is corrupting themselves. And it's just kind of like, you know, is this city too far gone? And what was what was so nice about that was the 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 third act with the fairies and like the turmoil that went through both of those boats. You know, it's not like they just made the decision right away either way, but there was such turmoil going on that you know, and, and really that was all metaphor for the the soul of Gotham City. It's like you mm-hmm. know, will will we believe in the good in inside humanity? If you know, that, is there enough that still exists inside the good of humanity? Or is the Joker right? And is everyone, under the right circumstances, would they eat each other? You know, would they destroy each other? Yeah. Okay. And, so let's 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 run down a checklist. Let's talk about let's talk about Maggie Gyllenhaal first as Rachel Dawes. What did you think? Excellent. I have always been a Maggie Gyllenhaal fan. Um, mm-hmm. Donnie Darko, uh, a bunch of movies she's done. Um, the Sherry Baby or something like that. She's she's an excellent actress, and I thought that she was much more sophisticated in the role. I felt she was more grown up in the role than Katie Holmes was. Katie Holmes, to me, just looked uh, and, and I, I felt acted too young in that movie. Yeah. Um, but this one, she, she pulled it out, and her final scene was really where she brought it, and she, I think she really added... What I love was she didn't... Uh, you know, bow down to Bruce at all. Like she, she made her decision, and she kept telling Bruce, you know, you know, don't put all of you know your whole thing about being happy on my shoulders. Like she's not right. going to take that. And I really, I really enjoyed her arc in this. I was, I was actually very surprised about that. Yeah, I was, I was surprised too. I thought she, just like you said, she was a much stronger character. Um, okay, Aaron Eckhart as Harvey Dent. Awesome. Just, I mean, he. He brought everyone's talking about Heath Ledger, but Aaron Eckhart. I've again big fan. Um, that that was Harvey Dent straight out of the Long Halloween. Like it, you know, and you know that whole campaign they show the good of him, and really his story was, you know, even out of all the comic book stories that I've read, besides the Long Halloween and Dark Victory and a few others, this was really one of the best Two Face Two Face stories ever. I agree that you know my whole thing that we, I've been talking about is that like. I, I'm, I'm excited to see the Joker, but, like, I'm excited to see Harvey Dent, like, done well. And, like, Harvey Dent, Aaron Eckhart, was really the focal point and the center of this whole movie. Like, everything revolved around him. It was all about, like, his public persona as the White Knight, him, like, you know, being this beacon of hope in Gotham City, and what happens when that man falls. And it was just, you know, it, it was so... The thing about this movie was, like, it was so real. There was never a point where I, I was looking at the screen saying, oh, that's Aaron Eckhart playing Harvey Dent, and, you know, that's that's Michael Caine, you know, playing Alfred. It was just like, that's Harvey Dent. Yeah, it's, and, and by the end, like, I was like, I, I believe in Harvey Dent. You know, like, you yeah. want to have that character. And really, like, what I was saying with the people on the ferries is Harvey Harvey's story was also very metaphorical for the city of Gotham and, and the people in it. It's just that where in... This is very, actually, it very much works in the two-faced split theme where the the people of Gotham made one choice, 
Harvey sadly went over to a side where he made his choice too, which validated the Joker's point. Right. And and really, okay. I mean, it's sad, but you know, it, sometimes it's hard. And this was the same kind of thing in um, in episode three. People said, "Oh, you know, once once Anakin went dark, like it's it's just like he turned a switch and went really dark." Well. Um, I, I was really kind of afraid they would do the same thing to Harvey. It's like as soon as like he'd be good, 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 his right. get scarred, bad, 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 and that's not true because the way they set up his relationship with Rachel and even beforehand they showed that he would really go to very extreme lengths to bring justice to or his view of justice to Gotham. Um, it shows like maybe he wasn't all put together as as well as everyone thought initially. But um, they really made his fall believable. Yeah, and that was the one thing I was worried about. Was like, you know, how is he going to become two faced? You know, in the first, the first point, and is it going to be one of those things where he's just fine? All of a sudden, something bad happens, and then he's this, you know, super villain. And that's not what it was. Like we never got, you know, we never saw two faced the super villain, or even really two faced the villain in this movie. We just saw Harvey Dent and kind of like the deconstruction of this character and, like, what do you do when you're trying, you know, so desperately to hold on to the one thing in your life that you love the most and it's taken away? Like, how do you react to that? Yeah. And it was... It was just heart-wrenching and so believable and so, like, so well done. I was so happy. Like, it by far, that was my favorite part of the whole movie was Aaron Eckhart, Harvey Dent, the story. It was... It was great. And and Heath Ledger as the Joker, fantastic. I mean, there's one of my favorite. The writing in this movie was so fantastic because they took all these themes that have always been around in the Batman universe: the relationship bat, uh, between Batman and the Joker, and the relationship mm-hmm. uh, between uh, chaos and order, and the you know the the dance that they continue they, that they will always do, and the fact that the Joker doesn't want to kill Batman. Like because one validates the other, and the Joker's had the opportunity on many many occasions, but he, for some reason, like he he either sets it up too extreme or or something to where he really doesn't want to kill Batman because he would have no purpose. And there was an excellent Batman story back in the '90s called Going Sane, which it's a it's an, kind of an Elseworlds tale of what happens when the Joker thinks he's killed Batman and and you know. He, in that story, he, he basically goes sane and he creates a normal life for himself and uh, and things like that. And then it turns out he didn't. And you know, a, a while later, Batman shows up and basically he reverts back to his insane self. But it's like he—they he, really are two sides of the coin. But they, the writers nailed that because they had all these speech moments, which they they monologue. And typically, I hate that, but they did yeah. it so. Well, and and really, it's it's credit to the writers and it's credit to the actors for being able to deliver that in in such a way, because um, Aaron Eckhart did it fantastic, Keith Ledger did it fantastic, um, even in the end when when uh, Batman was talking to Harvey and when he's saying, you know, you were the best of us, that's why he chose you and that's why you were attacked. Um, yeah. You know, every time, like at no time did I think, well, this is cheesy. Every time, like my my heart was pounding. I was just like. You know, you get that just feeling inside. Like it, it's it's not even tri- a triumphant feeling because there is so much loss in this movie, and this movie was so dark. But it 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 tugged at your heart because it's just like you felt almost desperate for something to hold on to, and which I think was appropriate because that's what this whole movie is about. Like 
it, you know, you shouldn't go to a Batman movie and, and have it bright and cheerful. Like, you, it made me feel like I lived in Gotham City, and, like, I was desperately seeking something to believe in and to hold on to. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, the thing that I kind of mentioned before was, you know, there's been so much speculation about Heath Ledger as the Joker, and I can easily say the first time I saw him on screen, I was like, that's Heath Ledger playing the Joker, and there wasn't a time after that where I looked at it as Heath Ledger playing the Joker. Because it wasn't like he was playing a character. Like, it was, that's the Joker. That is his character. And I will personally say that there has never been... that. There's never been a more frightening Joker than what I saw in The Dark Knight. No, that's, that's absolutely true. I think the closest that I could think of in the comics is the, the most recent Grant Morrison's story. But even, I think in the 80s, maybe, when the Joker was really at his most brutal, that there was something, and maybe this is something that you can only get when you have someone portraying him with, with mm-hmm. the voice and the characterization and, and the way he walked. Like, he almost had a limp, but not quite, and there was just mannerisms. And maybe you lose that in the, in the comics. Yeah. But it was just so well done. And there were two key scenes with the Joker that I thought really stood out. And one was the interrogation cell between him and Batman, and I loved that, you know, he said, he sets this choice up that you can only save one, you know, you're gonna, where he wants Batman to break his rule of no killing, and he's like, you're gonna break your one rule, and this is why. Um, I really enjoyed that, and also the scene in the hospital when he talks to Harvey, and, I mean, the, the scene in the hospital, especially because there were moments in that where I alternately laughed, just at the way, like, the way he smiled, and the way, like, you know, when he was trying to work his detonator and the batteries were low, like, his manners, and it's like, you laugh, but then he does these awful, awful things, and you're like, oh, God, you almost feel bad about laughing at it, but... Sure. Um, it, not only that, too, but it's like, in its own twisted way, he has a point. Yeah, no, he... And I, I think that's the worst part, is that, like, you see where he's coming from, and while it's crazy, you know, there's a certain logic to what he's saying. Yeah, yeah, and and that's totally it. And I think one of the scary things about this is, like, you know, we've seen we've seen a lot of, you know, the, the Abomination, the Ironmonger, uh, Doctor Octopus, Venom. We've seen a lot of um, supervillains in, in movies, but this is the one really that there's there's absolutely no reason why he couldn't exist in the real world. And to that's me, like. Right. He's he is the most terrifying of all of those villains, and that's yeah. what's scary. Is like he's he's just a very smart person who's, un you know he he's sick he's sick in the head, but he has his own logic too, and there's absolutely no reason he couldn't exist in the real world, and that's I think why he worked so well in this kind of Nolan verse where it, it is a very realistic Gotham City, like everything is rooted in reality. Yeah, that's true. And I think that Christian Bale is really getting, you know, overshadowed with everything that's going on. But, I mean, this guy, this guy is Bruce Wayne. This guy is Batman. Yeah, it's it's very easy to, to look at all this supporting cast and say, oh, they were just fantastic. You know, Gary Oldman, too. I, we, didn't, we didn't mention yeah. him. Like, he, he is Jim Gordon. But, you know, but you're right. Like, no one's talking much about Christian Bale, and he is doing a fantastic job. Like, he, he owns Batman. 
This was, I mean, it, here's, if I had one issue with this movie, and it's not even an issue with the movie, um, I think it's the issue that I'm pretty sure this movie was PG-13, and I have no idea how it got a PG-13 rating. Um, like, I, I, the thing, I've, seen, I've seen worse things that are PG-13. Well, the, the whole thing is that, you know, th- things change as we get older. I was watching a commercial today where they had the Dark Knight, you know, Batman and Joker toys with cereal. And this movie should absolutely not be marketed to kids. I, I agree to that. Like, this is not Batman and Robin. This is not Batman Forever. Um, I Looking back now, like, I, thought, I find it really strange. Because I remember when Batman Returns came out and they had the, the like, Batmobile and, and character toys and Happy, and Happy Meals. And yeah. really, Batman Returns was, I think, maybe more than the original Batman, uh, very more, much more adult theme. And, you know, it wasn't aimed at kids. And I think this movie in no way is aimed at kids. And I think that's... Yeah, it's weird, because, you know, there's toys, because there has to be toys. Well, yeah, yeah that's, that's the Warner Brothers marketing machine. You're just not going to get around that, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and, no, it makes perfect sense. But, yeah, it's like, how do you do that? Because, like, you know... If, an eight-year-old kid should, really shouldn't be watching this. But, um, but you know what? At the same time, eight-year-old kids probably a little bit more mature today than they were 20 years ago, than they were 20 yeah, but, years before that. I mean, we watched RoboCop as kids, so... Yeah, and, and that screwed me up for life. Yeah, you're... Yeah, oh yeah, you're such a, a menace to society. I know. Um, hey, but, all I'm saying is... All I'm saying is I can walk down the street... See someone get stabbed, and I'll just be like, "Well, it's not as bad as that little kid in RoboCop," so I'm fine. <laughs> Where's that 209? <laughs> so, uh, but this is speaking. Speak this of is kind of. I, w- I wanted to just make a quick point to the uh, Arkham, As- the, jo- the Joker's Asylum miniseries that's been going on the past couple weeks. Uh, le- two weeks ago, there was a Penguin issue where they did a, a black market type of uh, arm, like a, a convention, like a flea market, where they had all these vendors. And one of them was selling rows upon rows of Ed 209s, and I laughed out loud. <laughs> it was awesome. So, sorry, I had to say something, but go ahead. Fair enough. Uh, all I'm saying is that with, with The Dark Knight, I really feel like this is the pinnacle of comic book movies. This is what, as comic book fans, this is, this, we couldn't ask for anything more. This is exactly what we want. This is something that's going to be true to the character, that is going to please every single comic book fan out there. But also, it's a real movie. You know, anyone who just knows, you know, the little things about Batman is going to love this movie. People who don't know anything about Batman, they're going to love this movie because it's just all there for them. And it's just, it's so, you know, we've kind of talked about this before. It's like, it's so, I I feel good, you know, because like, I feel like I am part of the comic community and I have whatever, some kind of pride or some kind of sense where I have to uphold this reputation and I have to get out there and get people to see these movies and be informed and this this movie is, just makes things so easy because it was so damn good yeah this movie really is a calling card for, for the comic book community to show like you know we're not we're not four color you know paneled you know it, it's it, comics aren't as simple as a lot of people think and, and just as you're saying this movie is not directed towards kids you know this movie is based on several comic book stories and years of comic book interpretations that are, were never aimed at kids. And so mm-hmm. that, that really does show like the maturity that can be told in the medium, um, even though it's being told in a different medium, 
it's a translation of what's been already been told in in the comic medium. And um, like I said, just just personally for me, because uh, and I imagine you kind of felt this way during maybe X two and and Spider Man, but like for me, this was like this was my character. And I, I grew up with Batman. Batman and his his family have always been the, the ones that I gravitate to. And for me, this was just like this was just so good and so refreshing to see my character done well, and to see everyone enjoying him. And just that this this is this is Batman, and th- this is what I've always loved about the character. Yeah, and it's funny because I as soon as I because I went to the midnight show, it was completely sold out. Great audience. Tons of cheers. They had a. They stood and clapped at the end. I get home, turn on the TV. What do I start watching? Batman and Robin. Yeah, they. I don't know why they've been playing that. They've. They've been playing that. <laughs> of all the Batman movies they've been playing to try to hype people up to go see the Dark Knight, they play Batman and Robin. Yeah, I don't know. Like, was the '89 Batman just like not available to be put on? Oh, it's <laughs> yeah. so. It is so bad. I turn on. I turned it on right when he pulled out the back credit card, and I was like, oh. Like, how can you go from the the highest of the highs to the lowest of the lows? Yeah, and, and really that's a, that's a contrast to show, like, you know, it was so wonderful for us to get 89 Batman, because what had really come before that was the Adam West. Yeah. And to get, get away from that camp, and then slowly uh, the camp <laughs> came back. And so I think... Again, this is just like a, a, a you know a cold drink of water. This is perfect, and you know we're getting we're getting back into the seriousness. And really, I don't think uh, Christopher Nolan really seems like you know he has stories he wants to tell. At least one more story, I think he wanted to originally do a trilogy. Um, and, and really, like as long as he's at the helm, and I think Warner Brothers has also kind of learned that you know when they start putting in their little criticisms and their ideas, you know, sell more toys and this kind of thing. Um, that they saw what happened and, and people pulled back from that. But when they give the director his freedom to tell the story that he wants, um, they, they can still market a movie, you know, and, and make money off of it. But when they start dictating it to be a toy commercial, you know, they, they, they lost the whole franchise. Odds are if they kept making good movies in that original franchise, they could have probably made more money had they made good movies and gotten people to see them and even have toy revenue off of those than they did making a two-hour-long toy commercial that killed a franchise to the point where they couldn't they couldn't make any more movies because people weren't interested. Mm-hmm. So I think they've kind of learned their lesson and they're giving Nolan the freedom to tell his story. And, they, and, and, and it's paid off in spades because look at, look at what is happening. Like The Dark Knight has become a cultural phenomenon in, in this week. Yeah, I mean, this movie, we, and we've been talking about it, this. everyone knew that this movie was going to be huge before it came out. Everyone knew that this movie was going to be good. And that's the thing, is that I went into this movie with huge, huge expectations. And, it's, and it just blew them all away. Yeah, so, yeah. It, yeah. So I think we can't really gush anymore on that, but... Um... It's it's good to be back, uh, provided David doesn't get sick or you know married again or anything like that. You know, we should <laughs> be able to to carry on. Um, but we, we we did have quite a vacation and um, and and congratulations to my boy David who got married. It was it was it was wonderful. We all had a good, good time. time. There was we we walked up to the podium, all the groomsmen to the Imperial March from Star Wars. So, I, like I said, I promised that my wedding would be somewhat nerdy, but it was still classy. 
It was. It was good. It, you know, it was, it was a fun time. So uh, I just want to say congratulations again. We're back. We're going to try and keep a, a somewhat regular schedule again. Uh, we're, we're also going to be trying to bring you some new features in the upcoming months uh, that we're trying to put together now, uh, maybe some guest appearances. So with that, if you want to contact us and uh, give us any feedback as far as uh, what you'd like to see on the show, uh, we're always looking for ideas about how to improve the show uh, quality-wise and, and content-wise. You can email us at contact at fanboystrikeback.com. And um, we love to hear from you. We love to get questions. We'll, we'll read your questions and answer them on the show. Um, we are available on many pod, pod uh, catchers, uh, iTunes most notably. Mm-hmm. iTunes, Podcast Alley. Um, you can find us anywhere. If you do like the show, please leave us a review. That helps us out. Um, like Eric said, just shoot us an email. Tell us what you like about the show. Ask any questions. Um, head over to the site, fanboystrikeback.com. We'll throw up written reviews there, movie news. Um, Comic-Con is coming up here pretty soon, so we're sure there's going to be a lot of news that will be there. Also, there's a link to our forum. Head over to the forum. Um, just come by, say hi, talk about the Dark Knight, talk about JSA, talk about whatever we're not talking about. Because we always love new recommendations. There's stuff that we've heard about, you know, that we started to read. I'm, I'm now on book nine of Why the Last Man. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, so yeah, it's cool. You know, it's we're we're good. It's good to be back. We're happy to be back. The Dark Knight came out. It's a good time to be a comic fan, so life is good. Yeah, indeed. So, uh, all right, well, that wraps it up for this show. Um, we'll be back uh, hopefully next week with uh, more comics and more reviews. So until then, we'll uh, see you in a week.